Hello and welcome to the For the Win podcast. I'm Ted Berg, joined on the phone today, or on the Skype, I should say, by one of my newest colleagues and also uh, an old colleague, Mr. Adi Joseph. Adi, how are you? Hey, Ted. I am glad to be on this podcast and back at USA Today Sports. It is good to have you back. I am excited for a number of reasons, uh, a couple of which I suspect we will get into today. But uh, I don't know, you know, you're new here. I don't know if you've heard a lot of these podcasts lately. They're excellent in general. And on the early week show, I tend to feature a different For the Win writer each week. And uh, I like to bring people on and ask them some of their favorite things that happened in the past week. Uh, I prepared you for that. Yeah, yeah, well, you you, uh, you warned me. So I have, I'm normally more of a hater type, but I came up with things I liked. Yeah, you know what? It Originally in my head it was going to be like one good thing and one bad thing. That was actually a format on an old podcast I had, but I felt like this world needs some positivity sometimes, so you know we go on, we go with good things, and then if you want to sort of frame a bad thing as a good thing, like if you wanted to say like, well, I hate the Patriots, so I'm happy that the Patriots won the Super Bowl because it means I can like it can sort of foster that hatred that boils within me and drives me to succeed in this life, then that's a good thing, sort of. But uh, yeah, I, I want to accentuate the positive. Yeah, I think. Uh... Neg- negativity is easy to come by, right? Um, and and look, especially for me. <laughs> and I don't want to steer you in the wrong dire- direction, right? If you've got negative things to say about anything I bring up, let it let it fly. It's not. This isn't like a, a kumbaya session. That was like the Dave Chappelle, uh, the the um, black white supremacist sketch. If hate is in your heart, let it out. <laughs> right. And yeah, I I do I do identify with Clayton Bigsby on that. Um, so so I'll start because I'd like to give you the last word. So I'm going to start with something uh, that happened last night, and I'm I'm especially excited to talk about this with you uh, because one subject that comes up a lot on this podcast is my appreciation for LeBron James, and I, I'm not sure that you saw it. Uh, I'm I'm sure you did see it because you're you're a big NBA guy. LeBron James uh, in the with this last second of regular of regulation time hit just an absurd fadeaway three-pointer to tie the game. The Cavs would ultimately go on to win. Uh, first and first, foremost, it, does he have to call glass in that spot? I think that's a really... Um, I think there are exceptions to the call glass rule. If, if you're fading away, twisting, and falling out of bounds, you can make that shot however you want. And... Uh, you know, it actually, it reminded me, I'm going I'm to throw back, this is something I liked like 10 years ago, but when Kevin Durant was at Texas, they played Oklahoma State in an overtime game or a multi-overtime game, and this player named Byron Eton, who was a five-star football recruit and a five-star basketball recruit, hit a shot almost identical to LeBron's, except he was spinning even more, and he was 10 feet further down the sideline. And it was to win the game, and uh, that's what it reminded me of, and he also hit glass. And I don't think you have to call glass when you're spinning, fading away, falling out of bounds, and it's the game on the line. I think that we give you a pass. I want to note that there was, and I couldn't find it. I was looking it up quickly before the show, and I couldn't remember. I think it's probably 2009, 2010. There was a Big East tournament game that ended with a, with a half-court shot, and the guy did call glass, and I, I think that is... Uh, 
pretty dope. But yeah, I would say you give LeBron the exception there because of the uh, acrobatics that went into the shot. But uh, I guess really more what I want to talk to you about, and because you know so much more about basketball than I do, and uh, well, that's true. Uh, yeah, I'm 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 <laughs> happy to admit that, right? I just I I am I sort of have come back to watching NBA basketball in the past couple of years, I think a lot of people have, because I think uh, there's a number of reasons I, I think the NFL has been a little bit less compelling, and, and basketball has sort of filled that void in my life a little uh, a little bit, but also, I think that in recent seasons, the league has seen just such exciting players and storylines and teams to watch, and, and I think that it feels like the NBA, and maybe you can correct me, but it feels like the NBA is just getting better and more popular, right? Yes, absolutely. I hear what you just said to me all the time. Just so many people. Hey, man, I, I used to I, like like ten years ago. I didn't care about the NBA, but I've been I've been uh, you know following it so much closer, and you know it's it's just great right now. And I hear that all the time. And I think it really started with LeBron, and it started with the decision and adding the drama back to the NBA that that was lacking. And with all due respect to you know, that three-year run where the Lakers made the finals every year, and, you know, you would think two Lakers-Celtics matchups, that'd be really compelling stuff. It really wasn't. It just wasn't that good. Um, the, those two seven-game series just weren't, like, they weren't anything compared to what we just saw, for instance. Um, you know, they, they were sloppy. There were a lot of blowouts, and... I think what we have now, what, what LeBron set up with the decision and that has just continued is a new era where there's so many things to talk about in the NBA mm-hmm. and that converges with social media making sports not just something to watch but something to talk about all the time. And so you have this, this convergence and the NBA has become the perfect social media sport which if you're on social media, whether it's Twitter or Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, you you need to know something about the NBA. You at least need to be able to make an inside joke about the NBA. Um, and, you know, if you don't know what a 3-1 joke is, how can you even be on Twitter? And uh, that, 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 I think, contributed to it. And I think also the NBA sort of lends itself to that format just because the, it's, you know, it's such a highlight-driven sport. Like, it, they're just such great basketball plays we get to watch and, like, a guy hitting this this shot. Like, you know, like, Steph Curry just sort of face up from 35 feet out or whatever and, and nailing it. And, and uh, it's so it, it's easy to sort of watch and, like, digest it in short clips. And I think also the NBA players, uh, probably more than in any other sport, that NBA players are, are really good and savvy on social media, and that sort of helps it too. But And I, I'm sure this is a, a, like, old hat thing for an NBA guy such as yourself. But again, remember, I'm coming back to this. Uh, first of all, what, where, where are you at with, and I don't know a ton about the stats, but I know that, uh, again, like advanced metrics have become more of a thing in basketball in recent seasons. Where, where are you at on that? Are you, are you, a, like a, are you a sabermetric sort of basketball fan? And more importantly, and, and I, I know that this is like the most trite debate in NBA history, is LeBron James the best of all time? Okay, um, to be real quick on the first point, basically I think that if you're not looking at them, if you're not considering them, if you're not weighing their value, then uh, you're not doing your job as a sports writer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I certainly know a lot about different analytical tools, and I, I have um, my opinions on them. I try to figure out where they come from, but I use them as appropriate. I don't 
base all my judgments on them, and uh, that's what I hope everyone does is just be open-minded about them. It's like a, it's an aid, but not a crutch. Yes, and that's what, how everyone should use them. They should not be the only source of analysis. Mm-hmm. With that said, uh, LeBron James is the greatest player of all time is a fascinating debate. I am a very, very, very big proponent of longevity. What's fascinating about that is LeBron's already arguably got more longevity than Michael Jordan did. Well, because he didn't uh, retire in the middle of his career. Yes, exactly, twice. Um, right. <laughs> and so, you know, it's, uh, it's basically a, a case of Jordan played a little more than 1,000 games, and LeBron's going to be past him by the end of this season or the very start of next season. So when you look at it from that perspective... You're like, okay, so they've play, they played roughly the same number of games. Who's accomplished more? Um, and to me, that's still Jordan. Mm-hmm. But LeBron still has like seven, eight years left if he wants. Um, and I think he does. And I think it's important to him to go down as the greatest player of all time. And I think he's the type of player who will change his game as he ages and be really good as a 37-year-old and be really good for a 40-year-old if he chooses to play that long. So I I think LeBron has the opportunity, but uh, right now the big gap to me is that Michael Jordan seized every single opportunity. Michael Jordan, you know, he didn't, he didn't skip games in the regular season. He didn't, he, he never let down. He never had, um, he never he never had moments like the 2011 finals uh, where LeBron kind of just seemed out of it. Where that that was that finals. was when LeBron caught the reputation for being like a three quarter player, right? Right. And so I think I think that the difference between Jordan and and LeBron is it's it'd be overstating it to say it's just a mindset, but I think it's it's more along the lines of Michael Jordan never let you down. LeBron at least once in his career did. Can't argue. In the 2011 Finals, LeBron James was responsible for that that loss, and uh, I think that that's a gap right there. But LeBron's got so much time to make up that gap, that gap and that difference that that I think he has the time to to take that title, and I I kind of expect him to. Now, sort of a corollary to this, and and this is something I think about with baseball a lot. Um, am I so now? Now, when we talk about best of all time, we mean in terms of value to their teams across their career, right? Uh, I don't think we're talking about actual best player of all time because, to me, like, and and this is a guess, but I'm guessing that if Michael Jordan, peak Michael Jordan, 26 year old Michael Jordan, is in today's NBA, he's not the player he was then, right? Oh, he's probably shooting threes. Um, that's one of the things that people... It's funny because people will hate on Michael Jordan for not shooting threes now. Uh, you know, the more analytics mm-hmm. savvy will say, MJ couldn't play in today's game because you have to shoot threes. The answer is, Michael Jordan just would have shot threes. And he probably right. would have made 38%, 40% of them. And, uh, you know, he's, he's not an idiot. He's actually incredibly smart and incredibly competitive and had an incredible work ethic. Right, and if someone came to Michael Jordan and said, like, dude, the, the best shot you can take is an open three on the perimeter, uh, on, the, on the baseline, Michael Jordan's going to take a lot of those shots. Yes, and, and the, other, the other factor is, um, you know, 26-year-old Michael Jordan kind of gets underrated. Uh, he did everything. People talk about how LeBron could do everything because he could average, you know, 
seven and a half assists and se- seven assists and seven rebounds a game. But Michael Jordan, when he was younger, when he wanted to do that, when his teams needed him to, he once had an eight and eight season. He averaged thirty two and a half points, eight rebounds, and eight assists a game in in eighty eight eighty nine. And this guy was, I mean, he was a lot smaller than LeBron, but it never stopped him, even in a more physical age, from rebounding. Six and six point two rebounds a game. I like this. This guy was really damn good, and he would have adjusted his game to a modern era just fine. But you don't think that the the NBA has much more athleticism now and just a higher level of play than in Jordan's time? Yeah, I think all sports do to some degree, right. and um, that's probably another thing that you know people talk about. Bill Russell couldn't bang with today's. Big men. And, well, yeah, but now um, Bill Russell, if he's coming up today, he's probably weighs twenty five pounds more, right, right? And is actually faster, <laughs> right, right? And, and that's that's an important factor too. So that's why I and I, you're a baseball guy. I always um, believe in when you're talking about adjusting for era, you need to talk about um, adjusting all things for era. You don't just say, "Well, Babe Ruth never had to face a slider." So he would strike out on every slider. Because, yes, if you put Babe Ruth in the batter's box, like you time-traveled him. Right, yeah, that's the distinction, a, right? The distinction put him is... Against, yeah, put him against Randy Johnson. Randy Johnson could throw three straight sliders. Babe Ruth has never seen that pitch. Babe Ruth would strike out. It's time travel versus cloning, right? Like if you yes. time-traveled Babe Ruth from 1927 to right now, I think... I think you could make the case that Ruth was so dominant in the standards of that game, which was like basically today's A-ball level was the, yeah. the major leagues then. I think Ruth was so dominant that he'd still be a credible major league player, and I think that's an astonishing thing to be able to say yeah. given how much the game has changed. But I really do think that's true. Um, but there's no way he's Babe Ruth. But I think if you if you clone Babe Ruth and you're raising him, you know, in you, he's born in 1994, and you raise him like, you know, Bryce Harper's parents raised Bryce Harper, Harper to just be the perfect baseball guy, then I think, yeah, then I think that probably it's pretty good bet that Babe Ruth is still the best player then. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I, I, and I, I just think it's, it's similar for all sports, and I, I really do think, yes, there are always going to be a, a, a select few players who took advantage of an era's rules, um, I think, if you're talking about basically any, any seven-footer from pre- 1970, other than Wilt, they were able to be a lot better because there were only like six of them in the NBA. Right, yeah, so you're just way taller than everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, um, you know, Wilt, I think, would adjust, no problem. But a lot of the guys, the others, the the very small handful of seven-footers, or, uh, you know, those guys were just taking advantage of the fact they were so much bigger than everyone. And I feel like... Definitely doing that. But when you start talking about, you know, Oscar Robertson... And you say Oscar wasn't as efficient as as a lot of guys today. Um, yeah, but no one was back then, and he would have learned, and he would have adjusted, and that would have been fine. Yeah, I feel like on the seven footer, I, I, it feels to me, and maybe you can correct me, that just like the the NBA teams now value like an athletic six foot ten guy more than necessarily like a big like Mark Eaton dude who's like seven four and not really moving around that well. It's actually kind of shifting back. Um, okay. If you look around the NBA, it's there's a lot of extremely talented seven footers, and I think teams are seeing the value of having um, a great rim protector who, basically, his job will just be 
keep players away from around the basket area and grab rebounds and run off pick and rolls and dunk the ball. Right, and that's the DeAndre Jordan mold. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the uh, Tyson Chandler was kind of perfected that I think. I think Tyson Chandler did it as well as anyone and and built that role um, up again. And you see a lot of young guys doing that, which is why we have so many young centers in the league. And then you have the Joel Embiid's and the Carl Towns who are just beyond that. Right. So. Right, because I guess it was it was more like five, ten years ago when I was like Dwight Howard is the guy. Yes, that's yes. the one big dude that's that's really doing it right now. And then like everything else is point guard play and stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, we're fifteen minutes deep and we've gotten to one thing. So give me <laughs> give me one of your good things from this week. Okay. Yeah. I mean, my my favorite storyline this week is that some memorabilia of uh, Tom Brady's and Kobe Bryant's has been stolen. And look, I'm not here to say that uh, thievery is a good thing. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not advocating for robbing celebrities and being all Robin Hood about it. But uh, are I you do think... are you not advocating for robbing celebrities and being <laughs> all Robin Hood about it? <laughs> you know, I do think that there's an element of if you find Tom, if if you're on the field after the Super Bowl and you find Tom Brady's jersey, that's your jersey now. Right. The case of finders <laughs> versus weepers. I believe. Yeah. yeah. If, if you stole, like, if you're the person who stole Kobe Bryant's memorabilia from his high school, that's messed up. Don't steal things from a high school. But if you're the person who found Tom Brady's jersey because he took it off after the Super Bowl, that's his fault. That, I, I, that is 100% his fault. That is 100% his fault. That is, I, I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. Yeah. So I think, uh, I, I, just, I just love the story. Whereas I think, you know, Lower Marion High School needs to get his Kobe stuff back because someone broke into a case. <laughs> that's, that's a yeah, and that's messed up. That's messed up. And also, like, where that's, like, one of those things where it's, like, like, I always dream about an art heist, you know, but, like, the issue with the art heist is once you heist the art, then you got to find a buyer, right? And, like, who, who's going to buy Kobe stuff they know to be stolen? Yeah, right. Yeah. Now, on the other hand, I would really, really, really hope that this doesn't become an issue when someone does come forward with Tom Brady's jersey and they try to say he didn't have rights to it because, like I said, that's his. The guy paid a lot of money, or you know, his company did, to be honest. That's probably more likely. But paid a lot of money to attend the Super Bowl. Managed to be the guy who grabbed Tom Brady's jersey. The presence of mine alone. Let him live. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I think I'm with you. I mean, and maybe it would be different if it were like, Someone I detested less than Tom Brady, right? <laughs> um, but like Tom, well, we, came, we came across this with the Barry Bonds baseball, right? Yeah, yeah. And we come across it with baseballs all the time because these these baseball players are so weird. Now, they typically will end up giving a person like a signed bat and a signed jersey and well, a set of season tickets in in exchange. So there is a re- reward. But if you catch a historic baseball, that's actually got a lot more value than even a season tickets to the Yankees. Um, and well, but the difference there is that is that the, the that's your baseball, right? There's no there's no arguing over who right. owns that baseball once you catch the baseball. Right. Whereas you did kind of take Tom Brady's jersey, but I feel like <laughs> I feel like that's up for grabs. I feel like once he takes it off and leaves, like he just ditched it somewhere, 
right? Yeah. So that's 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 anybody's. I mean, I, I'm sorry. Like, what are you like? I don't I don't get up to go to the bathroom in the coffee shop without making sure someone's watching my computer, right? Like, you can't just come back and have your computer stolen and be all mad that someone took it. It's a valuable thing you're just leaving out there for anyone to take. There's it's a public place. There's lots of people around. Right. I and no. I mean, I would I would say, I'll say this. I do think. It, if you see, if you were in a coffee shop and you see a computer sitting on a table and you just take it and walk out, that is stealing. Oh, that's one hundred percent stealing. That, oh, no, no, but no, I also yeah. agree with you that you can't that the person whose computer it is can't really like blame anyone but themselves. Oh, they, they why can try are to get it back, so bad? But. Yeah, right. Now I think I'm with. I think I think, and especially like sports. I don't know. I, it's like, Tom Brady has a lot of jerseys, right? Like if Tom Brady <laughs> wants a Tom Brady jersey, he can get a jersey. If Tom Brady wants a game-worn Super Bowl jersey, he can get a Tom Brady game-worn Super Bowl jersey. Just wear two. Just wear a second jersey, and then you have you can wear, like, change every quarter and give one to each of your kids if you really want. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. That's um, Antonio Cromartie. Uh, yeah, no, Antonio Cromartie's going to play a lot of Super Bowls. Uh, going to have to play a lot of Super Bowls to, to clothe his children, for sure. Uh, prob- probably not, not a lot of... Uh, uh, long-term hopes that all of his kids can have uh, Super Bowl jerseys at this point, uh, but yeah, but I know I, I think I think you're I think and I think yeah I think it's a good distinction breaking into the case. Uh, first of all, the only thing anyone knows Lower Marion High School for is Kobe Bryant. So you're just like robbing Lower Marion High School of like it's, Wayne Ellington. <laughs> that's not gonna, that's not going to move my needle. You're just you just took like all the important things out of Lower Lower Marion High School. You have cost yourself like your degree is now. Look, I'm assuming it was a student, right? And now your degree is worth less because they don't even—they can't even claim Kobe Bryant anymore. His stuff's not there. Yeah. All right. Um, uh, second good one, and I'm gonna—and again, this is one that pertains to you. This is a very personalized Adi Joseph, Ted's favorite things. You wrote a nice thing, an interesting thing during the Super Bowl about. One aspect of Lady Gaga's performance, which may have been overlooked by some, um, the the actual execution, I will say, um, to me is not as impressive or uh, interesting as the concept. But the concept is using drones as like sky art. What did you learn? Yeah, I learned that basically drones are going to replace fireworks long term, and I know that that uh, breaks your heart, and I'll let you get to that. But I, I'll just drop some knowledge on them. Basically, with drone art, these drones go up in the sky. They, they can fly as high as they want to, really, or as high as they get security clearance to. Um, they can portray different lights and reassemble very easily so that you can create logos. You can create um, a flag, as Lady Gaga did. You can create um, an image. You can do, if you have enough drones, you can do a full scene from something. You can do cartoon-type animation. Um, which Disney did a little bit of, and these these drones basically are much more customizable fireworks, and so I'm fully expecting to see, and I know that the people at Intel who talked to me for this story are fully expecting to see um, heavy use of them in live events, in, in a 4th of July type celebration, and if you're a big fireworks fan, that might disappoint you but you know they made good points about sustainability they made good points about environmental factors like that they made good points about reliability 
and the fact that you kind of you control the drones, and so you can repeat this show over and over again as many times as you want without worrying that one of the fireworks is going to mess up. Or all, all all those factors said, I also was a little bit underwhelmed. They looked kind of like little dots in the sky. They didn't look like the big booming. Um, nature of fireworks. So I think they're still figuring it out. It's a very new thing. It's probably been around three years that they've really been been working on the artistic element of drones. And so I think in five years we're going to see a completely much better presentation from them. But I know, Ted, you're, you're dying to rant about how great fireworks are. So tell us why we're going to miss fireworks. Well, I mean, first of all, I'll say that I think that I, I'm excited to see like drone art in the hands of like well like in like 10 15 years down the road when it becomes something that's more I, I would assume something that's more reasonable for uh, uh, artists not affiliated with the Super Bowl to be doing right like where where other there can be like some art art installation like you get that guy Christo or whatever like yeah. it's still gonna it's still gonna take a big budget artist you know it's not gonna be Banksy in the sky right exactly Banksy in the sky like I think yeah. and. and I don't know. I got my own opinions about Banksy. Uh, they're very controversial. <laughs> I'm not going to share them. But, uh, but, but yeah, but that's like a main, major mainstream actual artist for sure. Using getting getting down with drone, drone animation, I think is the is potentially extremely cool and something I will definitely check out when that starts happening. I'm with you that it was uh, in the Super Bowl execution a little bit uh, of of. Uh, no, I don't want to say disappointing. Just I would say underwhelming uh, that there are you know tiny robot helicopters all lit up, and and this is the best you're getting is like an American flag, whatever. Um, but if, to that, to the fireworks thing, first of all, um, I would point out that you know when everybody when when uh, 3D computer animation first came out, everyone said, well, now that's it for 2D traditional uh, uh, animation. And it didn't really play out that way, right? It just, just turns out, and I think this is like a trend whenever a new media for art comes out, is the old ones sort of become more specialized and niche but they don't really go away. So I feel like people are still going to be making fireworks for at least as long as I'm alive, and that's really all that matters to me. Uh, because fireworks are basically my favorite thing. Uh, I They explode. You get to play with fire. Um, I think fireworks shows are, are pretty cool. I think my favorite thing is actually lighting off fireworks by myself because of the, uh, I mean, you know, hopefully with friends around to watch it as I, like, gleefully run away from the burning wicks. Um, it is the the rush of when you light a firework and the, the, the wick starts going and, and you know it's going to blow up. That's, like, the best feeling in the world for me. I love it. I don't want that to go away. I'm never going to be making drone art in the sky. That's just not in the cards for me. I am going to be blowing stuff up. I'm going to blow more stuff up in my life. Um, and I don't want... I don't want it to cost me uh, an opportunity to purchase and own and use fireworks. So, But I, I don't feel like that's going to happen, right? I feel like there's... Because a, a big... You can buy, like, a big badass firework around 4th of July for like, you know, 30 bucks for like one of the ones that goes off for like 90 seconds and shoots all sorts of flames and things into the sky. Uh, you're not going to, you're not going to get a $30 drone art set ever. Right. So, um, so I feel like I feel pretty confident that I'm still going to be able to blow stuff up so I can appreciate drone art without really fretting about the future of 
my favorite thing, which is like controlled explosions of color in my backyard. <laughs> yeah, and I think that what you you know I I, I think you're so I'll 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 say um, I've never really maybe I'm a deprived child, but um, I've never really done real fireworks. I've you know sparklers obviously, but. I've never really done the whole lighting a cherry bomb and seeing what it does in the middle of the street type thing. My neighbors used to do that stuff. <laughs> I've done so a I'm, lot of that. Yeah. So, <laughs> I'm just going to say. Uh, <laughs> so I've never really been you know, a fireworks guy, but I think what we're seeing really is we're going to see that stuff absolutely will stay. And what will follow is the corporate stuff, the Macy's parades and, and et cetera. You know, um, Disney World's, like I said, already, already done, done this. Those grandiose fireworks shows might go away in favor of drones if drones become more cost effective, and that's the same thing. And more grand, and more too. grandiose, and more grandiose. Yeah. And 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 your 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 point to three D um, is that you know these days every big budget animation movie is three D. Right now, it doesn't need to be three D. You could totally watch it, and you know most people don't have a three D TV, so you know you buy it on DVD or whatever or Blu Ray. And it's 2D, and it's fine. And people with glasses, like myself, often prefer 2D because it doesn't give us headaches. Wait, you have a 3D TV at home? No, some people do. But okay. I'm saying I, 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 prefer, I prefer 2D. Oh, you mean as someone theater. who wears, like, spectacle yeah. glasses, regular right. glasses. Okay. So therefore, like, it's hard for me to watch a 3D movie and not get a headache. Mm -hmm. So there will always be the 2D version. And uh, yet 3D is everywhere. And it's just a matter of time before these drone things are. And uh, a lot of it is, can they make them look cooler, better, bigger? Um, because right now, as we saw with Lady Gaga's performance, honestly, the fireworks looked cooler than the drones. Um, because they're on fire. They're on fire. Yes, awesome. yes. And they're smoking, and there's, they're bigger, brighter colors that are closer to you. The drones were so far up. They were pre-recorded, which was its own sort of lame thing that, that had to happen for a lot of reasons. And so I... I I'm, I'll say this. I think that the future of drones is bright, um, and I think my ambivalence toward fireworks is going to extend to them pretty strong because, to me, it's just it's just not that exciting to watch, you know, a bunch of colors in the sky for two minutes. Wow. I guess don't go see the Northern Lights. Yeah, I'm not a really big tourist fan, <laughs> a touristy person, so, you know, I probably won't see the Northern Nor Lights either, but at least that's cool, like, important to nature and the future of the world to some degree, so, um, yeah, just blowing stuff up in the sky never really appealed to me. We're not going to see eye to eye on this. I love explosions. We are, we are not. Uh, speaking of, uh, this is a, uh, an interesting segue. Uh, Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans proudly supports the For the Win podcast. When it comes to the big decision of choosing a mortgage lender, it's important to work someone you can trust who has your best interests in mind. And with Rocket Mortgage, you'll get a Rocket Mortgage. You'll get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Don't waste time searching through stacks of paperwork. With Rocket Mortgage, you can securely share your financial info to get a mortgage approval in minutes. You can even adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure you get the mortgage solution that's right for you. Whether you're looking to buy a home or refinance your existing mortgage, you can lift the burden of getting a home loan with Rocket Mortgage. Skip the bank, skip the waiting, and go completely online at quickenloans.com slash FTW. That's quickenloans.com slash FTW, equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, NMLSconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. 
Audio that was a rocket. We went straight from rockets to rocket mortgage. Uh, give me another one of your good things. We're both New Yorkers. Yes, so, we are. So uh, my, next, my next thing is something that should be familiar to every New Yorker, and that is the halal carts. And, uh, Love it. I lived in Charlotte, Charlotte, North Carolina, which is a really nice city. Um, I lived in Charlotte, North Carolina for the past two years, and they don't have... They have street vendors, actually, in, in Uptown. There's a small area that they have hot dog vendors and pretzel vendors. They don't have halal carts. And there is simply no way to get more delicious food for $6 than getting the lamb over rice at a halal cart. And I love being back in New York now in a place where I'm in Queens, but every remotely trafficked area has a halal cart. You can't have a good corner without having a halal yes. card. Yeah. If, if you have if you have a Dwayne Reed and a moderately successful bodega, you have a halal card. <laughs> <between> them. <laughs> like that's how New York works, and I just I have eaten it so many times since I've been back since I moved back here, and it's it's so cheap, it's so delicious. You know which ones are the good ones and which ones aren't, but you still are willing to eat at the, the not-so-good ones as long as they don't have, like, a C. Yeah, the, well, so the, I'll, I'll point to that. I have so many hot takes on halal cards, and I'm, I'm with you on this. I, especially, I think the, the, the point you mentioned about the price point is so important if you're working in Midtown, and our, our office is sort of right in the gloomiest section of, of Midtown where everything you want to eat for lunch is like $12, except if you're willing to go to the halal cart, which I, I obviously am, and you are. I know some people get a little bit like, they're a little squeamish about street meat. I'm all about it. Um, Love but, the street meat. But yeah, but it's, it's, it's $4 or $5 for the sandwich and $6 or $7 for, for halal meat over rice. Uh, it's such a good deal. Uh, to your point, uh, to several of your points, first of all, uh, you didn't bring this up, but I find that halal meat is the only way I enjoy lamb. Like, I, I don't hate lamb, but I, like, if any time I order fancy, uh, like, fancily prepared lamb or, or make myself lamb or, you know, have lamb with mint jelly, anything like that, it's like, it's okay. Like, I don't understand why this is an upgrade over beef, uh, of various other meats I prefer. But lamb shaved off that thing is by far the best lamb. <laughs> <laughs> um, like a bar none. Bar none, that's the best lamb. So um, that's one thing. But the, the other thing, and, and this is a point you made, um, certain halal carts get reputations as like that's the one to go to. And there's especially uh, a group in Midtown. They've now expanded into brick-and-mortar stores, and it's very good. It's They're called the Halal Guys. They wear yellow shirts. Um, they have one cart on 53rd and 5th, I believe, that usually has a line all the way down the block. They have identical carts on other corners that don't have lines. Um, I am almost certain, and I think it's a good one, but it's not like the best halal food. It, for whatever reason, that one got tapped as like this is the halal food that Yelpers should eat at, right? <laughs> and so like people all seek out that thing and they're like, oh my god, it's so good, it's impossibly good. But it's not because that particular place is so impossibly good. It's because all halal food that you get in, on the street carts is impossibly good. <laughs> and that just happens to be the one where people eat. Yeah, um, and I think I think there is it should be said that when you go to that shady halal cart in you know, uh, Elmhurst, Queens, and there's oh, only Elmer, like Elmer, one... Do, I mean, don't denigrate that, that's the food actually, options Elmer's in Elmhurst. Yeah. I love Elmhurst. <laughs> okay. I'm using, I'm using a very specific example, which is that outside of Target, 
in, in Elmhurst. It's, it's a, a single halal cart. There's no other carts around it. I had it last week. It was not the best halal I've ever had. It was not the best lamb over rice, but it was still lamb over rice. And the hot sauce that they use, mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. It is not any sort of hot sauce that I've found bottled. I think it's based with harissa a little bit. It's the best hot sauce, and uh, it's, and it's so, essential. so hot. It's so hot, but it has this perfect flavor that works. You wouldn't necessarily think of like putting regular hot sauce over rice, but it, it works so well with the rice, and it works so well with the cream sauce, and that white, that white sauce, hot sauce, and if you like the barbecue, I'm only like 50-50 on the barbecue, but all three of those sauces work really well together, and you just you, you take like a big spoonful that has a little bit of the lettuce, a little bit of the rice, and a big piece of lamb, and all of the sauces – that's that's the quint that to me that's the quintessential New York City bite of food. It's not some hot dog with stewed onions. As much as I love stewed onions, to me like halal cart represents New York even more. And a much better because I would I prefer hot dogs from places that are grilling the hot dogs and the the hot dogs on the street are typically boiled and just sort of sitting in the water and that doesn't do it for me. The, I think if you're going for street food, halal food is the like unless it's like you know one of, like one of these like fancy like well painted street food trucks that that tour and tweet and everything. Right. But if you're looking for like standard fare street food, it's halal all the way. Uh, I'm a, I'm a white sauce hot sauce man. Uh, but I, it's it's a rare opportunity. It's a rare in- instance for me because um, I like spicy food. I find that hot sauce so spicy that I have to say like go easy on the hot sauce. Go easy on the hot sauce. Which I don't do. White sauce and, I don't do anywhere perfect. else. You know, like I feel like I, I don't do that. I never say like go easy on the buffalo wing sauce, right? It's just like oh no, give me the hottest one. Uh, at with that particular hot sauce, that. That's for real. That's not yep. like for considering how many people are wolfing that down on lunch breaks <laughs> in in Manhattan. Like that's a that'll put some hair on your chest, figuratively. Yes, yes. Uh, as as an Indian, I, I appreciate it, but um, I I totally understand. But yeah, so that's my that's my good thing is halal carts. And if you're in New York and you want some authentic New York street food, skip the hot dog vendor. Yeah, maybe I'm, go. I I won't hate on the 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 honey roasted peanuts people and the honey roasted cashews though. This, yeah, I find, you're taking a health risk with them. <laughs> yeah, I also find I find that those smell so much better than they taste. Yeah, you know, they like do. the smell they is do. incredible. And uh, people knock New York. Like one of the things people knock about New York is people will like who aren't from here will be like, oh, it smells. That is not true. Like New York smells amazing. Really smells. Um, yeah, I mean that I, I don't I can't speak for all of I have a I have a friend who's an architect in Philadelphia who told who explained it to me. When it rains in Philadelphia, Philadelphia is one of the last big cities in the country where the sewage and the drainage are still linked. And That's so when it yeah. rains in Philly, sewage rises a little bit. Now it doesn't rise to the point that it's gonna come out of the the grates or anything, but the sewage rises and you can actually smell the sewage when it rains in Philly. That's what um, those uh, DC also like in the summer down by the canal in DC it's just it reeks it reeks and, and people people are always like oh New York it smells there are parts of New York that smell um, I would say that the smells people object to are usually um, foods they're not uh, aware of or, or familiar with or foods they or don't literally enjoy. it's trash day and there's right. so much trash in New York like, State. yeah well and we don't have alleys we don't have alleys yeah. you know so right. that that train like and look there's a lot of dirty aspects of New York for sure but I would say that like outside of of like 
Chinatown on Trash Day, not a pleasant place to be. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, just because the streets are so narrow and there's just so much trash out on the street, that can be relatively unpleasant. But for the most part, walking around New York City, you're just hit with like nice smell after nice smell after nice smell. Certainly plenty of that off halal carts. Um, some of them off those peanut carts, which I no longer really ever, I, I don't get suckered into that anymore. I'm past that. Yeah, I mostly, um, I mostly stick to the halal carts and... Everyone listening should, too. Uh, my last good thing, and this is, uh, it's not something that happened in the past week, except that the Super Bowl happened. And so, to me, um, as a, a baseball writer, and, and more importantly, I guess a baseball fan, the end of the Super Bowl typically signifies the beginning of the time in which it is reasonable to start talking about the baseball season. Like, I feel like everything before early February is, like, off-season hype and speculation and what's going to happen. And once you get into February, you start saying, like, okay, we're a week away from spring training. And as we speak, um, in less than a week, I will be in Florida watching baseball guys practice. And I am just so... Uh, and I don't know, maybe it's uh, it's funny, it, it's like this sort of same thing happens to me every year now, because I'm so deep in it, is like, it's just, you know, the the baseball season comes, and it's it's super fun, I love what I do, and what I get to do, and it's awesome, but it's a grind, you know, it's 162 games plus another month, and it's, it's for a professional baseball writer, it can be kind of exhausting, and by the time, by the end of the World Series, I'm wiped, and it's like, okay, I don't, you know, I, I, I love baseball, I still love baseball, it's always going to be that, but you don't need baseball for a month right then, and then, like, it's sort of the, you get caught up in the winter, and you get, you get caught up in the football, and all these different things happen, and then February comes, and you're like, oh, wait, baseball's coming back, and it, like, it honestly, I don't know, maybe you get this with basketball, it, it like, makes me feel, like, warm on the inside, like I'm gonna meet up with old family or something. Yeah, I love baseball season, too, and, um, you know, baseball was my first favorite sport, but this year, like, I, I, I think, I think what's happened to me over time is, um, baseball's kind of gone through a little bit of what basketball was going through 10 years ago, where now we have a lot of young players, and, um, you know, it, there's so much young superstar-level talent, so many young under-25 guys. It's still kind of adjusting to, okay, how much do I need to know things about Lindor versus things about Machado versus things about Arenado <laughs> You know, and and it's like I know all those guys. I know that you know that they're the best players in baseball, and they're very young and very talented. But, but we're like we're sort of sorting out the we're yes, distinguishing yes. the Barry Bonds's from the Bobby Bonillas. And right? so I think that's what I'm looking forward to this season in baseball is hopefully we get a better sense of all these young guys who the last two years we've been super excited about and trying to turn into every one of these guys into like the next great 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 player. We know they can't be, all of them can't be the next great, 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 great player. So I'd like to know, I'd like to have, like, by the end of this baseball season, a better set of understanding of who's better, Nolan Arenado or Manny Machado. A better set of understandings about who's, how good Freddie Freeman, who I know had, like, a great second half. Is he actually all that good? Do I really need to be paying attention to him again? Because I'd kind of, you know, stopped paying attention to him after his, his rookie year a little bit. But... Um, th those are the kinds of things that I'm looking forward to this baseball season. I think it's a really exciting baseball season, and um, 
it's it's definitely if I was a baseball writer, I'd be thrilled for this time of year, especially this year because of how much how much uncertainty there is other than the fact that the Red Sox just have the most obnoxiously stacked team. Yeah, the Red Sox look stacked, and the Cubs are still stacked. I think if anyone reasonably trying to forecast the 2017 World Series right now, I kind of asked to go with Red Sox Cubs. Uh, obviously, the the postseason is sort of a big crapshoot. But to your point about the young guys, it's absolutely the case. And and you're right. You know, we don't know yet uh, which ones are going to turn out to be the all-time greats and the Hall of Famers, and which ones will get hurt or grow ineffective or you know have trouble with a slider on the outside half of the plate, and then everybody figures that out, and then they're not that great anymore. Um, but it's also a, a sort of important, I think, transitional era for Major League Baseball just because the last wave of famous guys all just retired, right? Like, I think if you asked people who don't follow baseball to name five baseball players, I think uh, among active players, I think a lot of people would still probably say Derek Jeter, right, who was just like the most famous baseball guy forever. But I think a lot of people would probably still say David Ortiz and A-Rod, and they both just retired. Um, it seems like all of those mega-famous guys from sort of like the Yankees-Red Sox rivalries and the first Red Sox championship team that sort of caught so much attention have now finally stepped aside, and we do have this incredible crop of 25, now 26 and under players who are sort of ready to step in. So now, do the Cubs win the World Series again? And if the Cubs win the World Series again... Does Chris Bryant become that Derek Jeter guy? Maybe. You know, and, and I think that's part of what's exciting is we get to see all that play out starting now without the, I don't know, there doesn't feel like there are a lot of these, like, old guys on their last legs. Uh, I guess Albert Pujols is one of them who's still around and playing and contributing and famous but not really peak top of his game anymore. But he's sort of in obscurity because he's playing with the Angels. Um, but... Uh, you know, I don't know, it's, it is, yeah, uh, like you said, it's a really exciting time to be a baseball writer, and I'm really excited to be in Florida next week. Uh, let's get to the last thing. Uh, give me your final good thing of the week. Yeah, I think, you know, I thought it was pretty cool, Paul Pierce, um, going to Boston, final game in there, and, you know, Paul Pierce is, is a guy who has never gotten full credit for how good he is and how great he is, and I, if we're really trying to evaluate Pierce's his career versus, say, someone who gets talked about way more often, like Carmelo Anthony. Paul Pierce had a clearly superior career to Carmelo Anthony. Pierce was arguably the best player on a championship team. I'd probably say Kevin Garnett, yes, but you know they were at least neck and neck there. He was unquestionably a guy who carried his team to the Eastern Conference Finals back in 2002. Um, he's, he's just had an unbelievable career. His defense plus offense combination is, is, is hard to match at the small forward position. And so I thought it was really nice that the Celtics fans appreciated him. You know, he hasn't been there in four years. But here's a guy who we're not giving him the Kobe treatment, certainly. And I get that. But he's had a career that is not that far removed from Kobe Bryant's in terms of greatness and legacy and importance to the game. Kobe's a top 10 to 15 player. Pierce is a top 30 to 40 player, and, and I hope people realize that, that this guy is you know, doing his, his victory lap, his final, his final chance to, to show off to the NBA crowd. Why do you think he didn't get more hype? You know, he's, he's, just, he's like so not flashy. He came in the same draft class as Vince Carter, mm-hmm. and for years, Pierce was better than Vince, and Vince was 
the one who got all the recognition. And well, Vince Carter years. dunked over that guy's head that time. And and yeah, and, and and so you had Vince being perhaps the most exciting player in the NBA, and Pierce being one of the least exciting great players because he you know he 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 could obviously he dunked and he had some great dunks, but it, they certainly weren't the athletic achievements that Vince Carter's dunks all were. And then you you also had um, he was saddled with bad teammates until KG and Allen came on. <clears throat> you know, this guy took a team where Anton Walker was the only other guy you could probably, like, instantly name. And he took that team to the Eastern Conference Finals and almost beat the Nets. So I think Paul Pierce just got underrated because of bad teammates, plus the legacy of being in Boston where fans have such high expectations for any of their teams. And, you know, it was a great era for the Red Sox. It was a great era for the Patriots. So the Celtics just got pushed down the the ladder there in Boston, and then you had uh, just his his lack of flash and his lack of sizzle, and he's kind of just this old school, school gritty, um, very blunt player, both on the court and off the court, who who didn't flash and didn't smile and didn't uh, attract the same kind of attention that Kobe and, and Vince Carter and several other big players from his era did. Well, I'm all about it. If you're going to tell me that Paul Pierce is underappreciated, I will believe you that Paul Pierce underappreciated. How about that? Yeah, that sounds good. All right, I got to wrap up. Uh, you can check us out on on iTunes. We're on SoundCloud. We're on Stitcher. Check out everything Adi writes at For the Win. It's ftw.usa.today.com. I'm on there too. Uh, lots of good basketball stuff coming up. Lots of baseball stuff. Like I mentioned, spring training in the in the very near future. Uh, all sorts of things on the internet where we write stuff. Uh, Adi, you're, you're on Twitter as well. You're just at Adi Joseph? Correct. All right, so you can find Adi at Adi Joseph. Uh, you can find me at OG Ted Burke, and uh, please continue. Thank you for listening to the podcast, and please continue listening. We, uh, we appreciate it. Adi, uh, peace out. Yeah, thanks for having me.